at One Day University. We feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly Scholar Newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. At less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at SmartBundle.com. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to Connect the Conspiracy with your host, Larry Elise. Join him as he dives into some of the biggest conspiracies in history and attempts to separate fact from fiction. Welcome to Connect the Conspiracy. I am your host, Daily Lease. <clears throat> Excuse me. Today we're diving into the death of General George Patton. Was America's most controversial general assassinated? Well, I'll give you the facts and my theories, and you can let us know in the comments section below what you think really happened. First, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Poddex, for sponsoring this episode. Check them out today at poddex.com. Use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your purchase. And now on to our main topic. The notion that General George Patton was assassinated by the U.S. Secret Service or the Soviet NKVD or some kind of combination of both makes an interesting story. However, does this conspiracy theory stand up to a rational analysis? Robert Wilcox did a huge amount of research for Target Patton his book ultimately stands or falls on the veracity of Douglas DeWitt Vizada, who is dead now. Some of his claims don't stand up to scrutiny. For example, according to Wilcox, Vizada said that he had informants in Patton's HQ unit who gave him details of Patton's planned trip on Sunday, December 9th, 1945, which allowed him to plan the attack. However, Patton expected to spend that day with his closest friend, General Geoffrey T. Keyes commander of the U.S. 7th Army, who was visiting Patton's headquarters. Keyes was unexpectedly called back to 7th Army HQ early that morning, and only at that point did Gay and Patton decide to go hunting. That would have given Pizzano very little time to prepare. Pizzano claimed that he followed Patton's staff car into Salberg and jammed the right rear window down while the car was left unattended. 
However, Patton's chauffeur, Woody Woodring, was adamant that he had remained in the car while Gay and Patton walked around the Roman fort. Also, neither Gay nor Woodring recalled a rear window being jammed down, something that would have been very apparent on a bitterly cold December morning. Then, Posada claims that he went ahead to the general's car to set up an ambush near the railroad crossing. Though he wasn't able to explain how he knew precisely the route that Patton's car would take, he then waited for Patton's car to arrive, and he had a heavy truck in position ready to ram the staff car. However, he explained to Wilcox the collision that happened was entirely fortuitous, and that and really was an accident which involved another truck which just happened to be in the area at the time. He also explained that the assassination weapon, about which he seemed to remember surprisingly little, had an effective range of just 10 yards. He did not explain how he was already in place 10 yards or less from the spot where the collision happened. Given that this was a fortuitous accident, this surely wasn't in the exact place he had planned. He then claims he shot Patton in the face through the open right rear window of the staff car in the immediate aftermath of the accident, breaking his neck. Apparently no one, including Patton, noticed this happening. I don't know about you, but to me this doesn't sound like a description of a plausible and professional attempt at an assassination. There's just too many coincidences and unknown variables involved. For example, how could Bazana have known the route that Patton's car would take in sufficient time to have another vehicle standing by ready to crash it? Crash into it, I should say. Also, with a range of just 10 yards to his weapon, Bazzato would have had to be very certain of the precise location of the crash and the position in which the general's car would come to rest afterwards. I can't see how that is possible, especially if the actual crash involved a different truck. I also find it difficult to accept that no one in the car, including Patton himself, noticed that the general had been struck by a projectile. No one else seems to have heard of the assassination weapon similar to that described by Posada. He said that it was from a little country, perhaps Czech or Swiss, and powered by a spring or compressed air. He could shoot any, almost anything, including, he claimed, a teacup. He describes the projectile used to injure Patton as a bolt-shaped piece of rubber, or possibly a small cube of rubber. I've not been able to find any reference to a weapon which fires a rubber projectile with sufficient force to really break a human neck. Rubber bullets are occasionally used by police, and these do sometimes kill, but they would not make a reliable assassination tool. It's also worth noting that Bazada's description of this weapon is very similar to the um, gun described in the novel The Algon Quinn Project. Now, author Frederick Nolan later said that this wasn't based on any real weapon, and he had invented it purely for the novel. Finally, Bazzotta was adamant that he was ordered and paid in some accounts to kill Patton by William Wild Bill Donovan, head of the OSS. However, when Roosevelt died in April 1945, support for Donovan, the OSS, and its proposed post-war replacement, the CIA, declined sharply. On September 25th, 1945, President Truman relieved Donovan of his command and ordered that the OSS be wound up within 10 days. So either the plot to kill Patton was hatched before September 25th, or Donovan somehow retained control over sufficient OSS assets to undertake the attempted assassination two months later. Posada doesn't seem to have publicly mentioned his involvement in an attempted assassination of Patton until 1979, following the release of a movie, Brass Target, loosely based on the novel we previously discussed. Pisano was reported as saying to a gathering of former OSS operatives in D.C., I know who killed him, 
because I'm the one who was hired to do it. $10,000. General J. General William J. Donovan himself, director of OSS, trusted me with their mission. I set up the accident. Later that year, Bazzotta gave an interview to the Spotlight, a right-wing weekly newspaper published in D.C., published as I was paid to kill Patton. In the interview, he claimed that he was asked by Donovan to kill Patton, but that he refused. There are only two possible scenarios here. Either in 1974, author Nolan wrote a novel in which, by an astounding coincidence, the precise circumstances and even the unique weapon used in the actual assassination attempt on Patton were described in detail. This is despite the fact that Nolan never met Bazzotta and the novel was written before his public claims. Or Bazzotta read the novel, invented the story which closely followed its plot. We know Bazzotta read the novel because it is mentioned in his diary. He describes it as factual in parts and fantasy in others. But why would Douglas Bazzotta lie? In Target Patton, Wilcox describes him in the late 1970s as bitter and in need of money. At one point, Bazzotta described his former OSS colleagues as weaklings, liars, sneaks, cowards, thieves, and betrayers. Apparently, he was angry in part because he had not received pensions and benefits he claimed had been promised to him by Donovan. These things don't constitute proof, but it seems at least plausible but that Bazzotta might have decided to invent a story which showed Donovan and the OSS in the worst possible light, which might also provide him with a source of revenue. It's also noted that Bazzotta changed his story more than once. He sometimes claimed that he attempted to kill Patton, but he also said that he was there but someone else did the actual shooting. At other times, he said that he had been asked to undertake the assassination, but refused. His diaries contain all those versions of the story, and even Target Patton notes that Bazzotta was conflicting on this point. It seems very difficult to believe that he couldn't recall whether he had or had not personally attempted to assassinate Patton. What then of the other evidence of a plot? The car in the Patton Museum certainly does seem to include parts from both. In 1939 and 1938, Cadillac Model 75. However, museum staff contend that after the crash, the car was repaired using parts from a similar 1939 Cadillac. This sounds plausible in any way, even if this isn't really Patton's staff car. How does this prove that there was a plot and or a cover-up? The missing reports on Patton's accident also seem to be something of a red herring. Patton, who was conscious for much of the time between the accident and his death, was convinced that what would have what had happened was nothing more than an accident. He ordered that no further investigation should be undertaken or either driver punished, which probably accounts for no reports being filed. Patton's driver, Woody Woodring, was interviewed about the accident many times and even took part in a publicity tour for the movie Brass Target. Woodring was certain that the event was an accident. He said of his involvement in publicity for the movie, my purpose was to set the record straight. The movie certainly didn't. Woodring was also certain that the first military policemen on the scene were Lieutenants Valendingham and Smith of the 818th Military Police Company, not Lieutenant Peter Balabas, who later claimed to have produced a report on the accident, which mysteriously disappeared. It may or may not be relevant here to note that in 1987... What then are the motive for the assassination? In an interview with the Sunday Telegraph newspaper, the author of Target Patton noted, quote, I don't think Eisenhower would have ever been elected president if Patton had lived to say the things he wanted to say. 
It is certainly true that Eisenhower was elected president in 1953, and that even in late 1945, he may have been considering a political career. However, like many other aspects of this story, this one doesn't really hold up to close examination. Patton was certainly highly critical of aspects of Eisenhower's military leadership during the war, as well as distrusting and disliking the Soviet Union. But by late 1945, Patton was becoming marginalized due to his increasingly erratic behavior. His praise for Germany and his support for a war with the Soviet Union, there's no real evidence at all that anything Patton could have said would have seriously damaged Eisenhower's political ambitions. What of the contention that Patton was poisoned at the hospital in Heidelberg by the NKVD? This isn't impossible. The NKVD had certainly carried out assassinations and had used poison. The problem is, there's no evidence to suggest that this actually happened. The official cause of death was pulmonary edema and congestive heart failure. In simpler terms, those who are paralyzed are prone to develop pulmonary embolism, blood clot that develops in a blood vessel and it travels to a lung, where it can cause an eruption to blood supply and subsequent heart failure. Although Patton had seemed to be recovering well, an x-ray taken on December 20th showed an embolus in the upper right part of his right lung. Doctors were very concerned about it, and his death the following day was not a surprise to medical staff. So it's not impossible that Patton died as a result of poisoning, but there is no evidence at all to support this. What evidence to what evidence we do have accords with the formal cause of death. If we apply Occam's razor, it seems far more likely that Patton died as a re- direct result of the injury rather than because of a Soviet Union plot. There are a couple of other points raised by conspiracy theorists that are worth mentioning. First is a claim that senior officers were present at the accident scene suspiciously soon after the accident. The second is that the ambulance in which Patton was taken went to a hospital in Heidelberg rather than the hospital in Mannheim, which was closer. The first point makes no sense at all. It suggests that one or more senior officials were waiting at the accident site to ensure that the assassination attempt was successful, quite part from the fact that this would be incredibly stupid, also not impossible, not possible, excuse me. As previously mentioned, no one knew what route Patton's car would take, so no one could have been waiting at the place where the accident actually happened. As to the second point, the hospital at Mannheim certainly was closer to the accident site than the 130th Station Hospital at Heidelberg, which was around 15 miles away. However, the hospital at Heidelberg was the closest army hospital. So it seems perfectly logical that that would be where U.S. Army medics would choose to take an injured American officer. The notion that General Patton was assassinated has grown out of a fictional thriller published in 1974. What is surprising is how much credence this theory seems to have gained despite the lack of evidence. For the reasons I've discussed during this episode, I don't think that the different stories told by Douglas Bazana are feasible or credible. Without those, we're left nothing with nothing to surmise and but surmise and presumption. I like a good conspiracy theory as much as anyone, but I prefer these to have at least a measure of credible supporting evidence. That's notably lacking here. 
Perhaps people all simply find it difficult that, to accept that a person as charismatic and flamboyant as Patton could die as a result of something as mundane as a road accident. Despite that, in this case, I believe that the evidence strongly suggests that Patton really did die as a result of sheer blind bad luck, not the result of a conspiracy. However, I could be wrong. Let me know in the comment section below, what do you believe? Was he assassinated? Or was it just a bad accident? Thank you for watching and listening. As always, you can find us on social media at CTC Podcast One on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Connect the Conspiracy. If you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash CTC Podcast. That's buymeacoffee.com slash CTC Podcast. You have been watching Connect the Conspiracy with your host, Larry Louise. Follow us on Twitter at CTC Podcast One and on Facebook.com slash Connect the Conspiracy. You can also find us on Instagram at Connect the Conspiracy. If you'd like, you can support the show by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash CTC Podcast. Thank you for joining us.